You're listening to Lost and Sound. My name's Paul Hanford. I'm a writer, a podcaster, and a DJ in Berlin. And I've always believed that one of the best ways we come together is through music. And through this series, we meet the innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the people who, when they make music, they do it utterly in their own way. Past guests have included Peaches, Chili Gonzalez, Ghost Poet, Leticia Sadier, and first and more. And each week, I have a conversation with someone who I think approaches music in a fresh and exciting way. Hey, how are you doing? I hope you're good. I hope you're well. I hope you're having a really lovely day. I'm speaking to you today from a drizzly autumnal Berlin. Just as I said that, I looked up and there's a tree in front of me right by a bar called Badhaus, and there's some shoes hanging down, dripping water onto the ground near my feet, and they're mixing with golden, fading autumnal leaves. It's a really beautiful time of the year. It's a, it's a time of the year I really, really love. I know it's not the most popular, it's not the big blockbuster season, you know, of, you know, summer wins every year, you know, the number one, it's, it's the big, it's the Star Wars of, of seasons, but I love autumn. It's like a kind of um, French art movie of a season. It's, it's, it's just, it's something, something magical about it. Um, and there's something really magical to the music of my guest today, Marshall Vincent, singer, producer, multi-instrumentalist. I mean, isn't everyone, isn't everyone a lot of things these days? Isn't everyone kind of like sort of multitasking their stuff? You know, I don't know, maybe there's some drummers that just drum, but they probably do the sleeve art for their band as well. And maybe there's, I don't know, jazz pianists, maybe jazz pianists just do jazz piano. But anyway, Marshall Vincent does a lot of things very magically. And I became aware of his music quite recently in a track particularly called Radio Silence, which is on a forthcoming EP called In No Particular Order that is just really special. In a way, it's sort of... My glib description when I was listening to it was like a kind of alt-R&B pet sounds. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? My description sounds terrible. The music is incredible. But we... So I thought it'd be really lovely to have a chat. So we met up last Thursday at La Maison in 
the bits between Kreuzberg and Neukölln along the canal uh, for Berlin listeners, you'll 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 know where that is. Uh, for everyone else, it's, it's this sort of outside cafe that in the summer is just this kind of mecca of of just beautiful people meeting for coffee. It's, it's, it feels like you're in some kind of world. It feels like you're in some kind of world that a writer from the early part of the 20th century has written about flaneuring and the glamour of European cafe culture. It's got that vibe. And we had this chat and I should cue you in that it's another face-to-face and because of the location there's there's quite a bit of background noise as well um and also because we just got into a really nice chat the moment we met i didn't press play immediately so the moment i press play is what you're going to hear which is which to to cue you in we're talking about his dog are you ready here we go so she's a young and yeah yeah we rescued her we weren't sure what age she was uh, they told us like a year around a year yeah but she's definitely younger than that yeah. and this is definitely her first period so we i had to go through the experience of buying her like little pat her, her pats and and we got we got her little baby underwear so when she's in the house she doesn't clean her so she's, like, she's walking around the house wearing these like kitty panties and just like <laughs> I hope um, you don't take her out with the kitty panties. No, we don't. We we take off the kitty panties and she can walk around and she can clean herself because that's one thing that she hates. But yeah, she's a rescue. We've had her for a little bit over three months. Yeah, like she's been calling on the couch when we're at home and like crawling along. them. just like, she's either trying to find her body or assert dominance. So we're just like, get down here. She's getting like friskier with the plane. She used to hate everybody and hate everything, but she can deal really well on a walk now. Right. Which is a huge thing. So she's not exactly pulling all the time. She's just walking with us, like staring back at us, being like, ah, I see you and I see food. And we don't even have to give her any food anymore, which is great. But, um, she still gets really excited by other dogs. Yeah. That's going to be the hardest one for her to like chill out on, especially because... You never know what other dogs are in heat. So. That's true, actually. Is yeah. she kind of uh, excited in a kind of flirtatious way? She's excited in a flirtatious way. She's very yeah. sweet with dogs. She's just really curious and she likes to play. Well, that's, that's so. better than like, you know, cause having uh, a dog that just doesn't like other dogs. Well, yeah. Getting the kind of, yeah. you know, kind of weird, yeah. violent streak. And sometimes when she get, interacts with those dogs, she's just like, what is going on? <laughs> like, <laughs> when the dog just barking, like, and she's just like, I don't know what I did. Yeah. <laughs> she, kind of, she kind of just like, her, her ears are just up and she's not barking back and she just turns away. And she <laughs> comes back to us. We're just like, well, come. She's like, okay, I don't know what I did. I, I think as, as, as non-Berliners, we all have that experience in Berlin from time to time, don't we? Where, you know, like suddenly you all like encounter like that rude shopkeeper something mm-hmm. like that after a few days of encountering the really nice shopkeepers mm-hmm. and like no marketing you're like what did I do what did I <laughs> oh my God, one of the first jobs I had here because I was I came here from New York five years ago and I was bartending in New York as well so I bartended here and I got this really odd gig for somewhat for some DJ's birthday party and he knew a bunch of these like German celebrities who I did not know at all. But they all seemed pretty fun. 
Actually, they were very fun. I had a night that night. <laughs> but I'm bartending with this other guy who's there, and he's just doesn't give a fuck, and he's so rude. And I'm like, actually, we're getting paid pretty well for this party. It's not a bad situation. But then everyone kept coming to me because he was rude. And they were like, bro, we'd rather get drinks from you. It's like, oh, man, could you be nicer, though? Because everyone's coming to me. Like, and only me to get drinks. No, and then, stressful. like, towards the end of the night, they're all just like, when are you getting off? Like, fuck him. Like, let him work the rest of the ship. Come party with us. It's like snuck in the toilet, did drugs with them, too. It's like, oh, this is fun. What a nice, warm welcome. But it struck me so odd how... It was my first experience, like, working with someone who's, like, straight up been here for their entire lives. Like, what? This is so unnecessary. You don't have to be nice. I also don't believe in, you know, this very United States that customers always right. That's not the way that I was brought up when I was in, in hospitality. Like, I worked for mostly, like, mom-and-pop-owned places. That's where I learned everything. And we were just like, oh, the customer can be an asshole. And if they are, we fully trust you to say something to them. Like, you don't have to take shit from people. Like, you don't have to do these things. So I didn't grow up with... I didn't come up up with that either. So when it came to here, I'm just like, there's you can be nice and not lose yourself. It is an interesting dynamic, isn't it, as well? So yeah. you can from New York. I'm actually originally from this small town outside of Chicago called Waukegan. Waukegan, Illinois. Very interesting place to grow up because it used to be a city and then it kind of got downsized to a town <laughs> tried to bring it back up in the 90s with this highway but no other town agreed to connect to it so we just have this big ass highway on the outskirts near the lake michigan that's just there <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it just ties back into like one side of the city to the other side of the city and like we have a downtown but it wasn't really used and the only, I think the biggest benefit that I had growing up there was that I was always around a lot of different people. There was not much of a racial divide in this town that I could see initially. Like, of course, you had, like, a rich district that also had its, a different zip code from the town. There was usually, like, old money who lived there, like, yeah. bigger houses that are, like, in the, in the family for generations, this kind of thing. But never really interacted with that part of town. But where I grew up, I was always surrounded by a bunch of different types of people. Yeah. And that made it comfortable for me. It's like, you know, I'm black and Native American, too. So I had, like, I kind of went, I kind of had different colors of people, if that makes sense. Like, I've, I've yes. always had, had, like, I've had interactions with different types of people all the time. And I've had the, the luxury of not being judged when I grew up because of who I was. Which is and it's like, yeah, that's yeah, very rare. Very rare, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. Um, and do, you, do you feel like in terms of, of your music and your art and your process, uh, this, this background you had and the, and the kind of the very uh, diverse background that you had kind of yeah. um, gave you a, a perspective? That... I think it gave me the confidence to have perspective. Because, you know, also in addition to that, like my, so my kindergarten teacher, she was white, but and my first grade teacher was white, but my second, fourth, my second and fourth grade teacher were black women. Most of my, my elementary school was mostly black women. My principal was a black woman. I had black educators who didn't put me down. <laughs> and also the white educators, educators for the most part, definitely didn't put me down. They 
propped me up as well. I was, I had that luxury of being in an environment full of people who didn't judge me. Anyway, yeah. So when it's like that, you are able to have some space to gain perspective at all. You're, you're able to foster an opinion about the world around you and yourself. And that definitely correlates with how I make music and how I have opinions on things because I was able to do that. And when I did experience racism, I experienced in a way of like, yeah, this shit is real, this shit exists, and now I can see a lot of things in society that reflect this and why it's wrong, but it never shaped my confidence. Right. And it came too late to shape that, so that was kind of great you know, in that way. And I wish that that was more of the case with more, you know, black people, especially who grew up. Yeah. And especially in the States. And also in a lot of contexts here in Berlin, which a lot of people don't talk about. Right? No, this is an interesting yeah. thing actually here because uh, um, I, I personally, I mean, uh, I feel Berlin is still a very white city, very overwhelmingly mm -hmm. white. I've noticed becoming more diverse in the few mm -hmm. years that I've been here. But, um, so it's, it's in, you know, but at the same time as a white man myself, you know. But yeah, I, exactly. I, you know. Yeah, like when people speak about diversity in Berlin, they purely speak about where people are from, but these are mostly like different parts of Europe and they're only with people from people with money yeah. and who have the ability to travel around. And, you know, you see a good majority of black people who do come here not able to get work because of their passports. Yes. If you have any yeah. African passport, you are often relegated to being a black money under the table dishwasher for selling drugs in Burlington Park because there's not many options. Or you are creative. Yeah. And then you have to like fight that way and it's a lot harder and it def definitely goes by passports. I know that if I was from like, let's say like Ghana, it would be a totally different experience for me to get a freelance visa that that American passport says a lot. And especially considering, even though I did not grow up with money at all, and don't have any right now, like, um, when I came here, people assumed, including people from the US assumed that I had to have money when I'm here, especially from the States. So then there's a whole other bag that is opened up when that is that is the assumption. There's doors that are opened up that would normally be closed because that's the assumption. Yeah. That you understand wealth and you understand privilege in a way that you don't critique it as much. And that's not the case. <laughs> and I think a lot of people get surprised. I had a different friend group when I came here, let's say that. And it's morphed over time because, not because I'm just like, have this holy awakening of like, oh, Oh no. It was more like I didn't bite my tongue and then people heard me talk and they just stopped hanging out with me as often and like so I'm just saying what's up. I don't have to just like I can talk about politics drunk. That's the type of college I went to. We would get fucking trashed. Get a handle of Jameson, other other things and we'd play card games and talk foreign politics. Like I I was trained to do this. You were trained, so, so you're here trained. and ready, you're match, you're match yeah. fit for it. Yeah, I'm always like, let's yeah. go, let's go. You want to talk about shit, I'm ready. Yeah. It doesn't matter what is in my intestines or up my nose. <laughs> I think this is such an amazing skill because it's like, 
I think so many people, I include myself in this, like, um, I feel very, very committed to my politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm... Um, in a party state, or in a, in, in a, even in a conversational state, sometimes yeah. like I, I cannot pull on the necessary reference points mm-hmm. to ground my arguments in credibility. Mm-hmm. You know, they they come from a place of gut feeling quite often. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but it sounds like what you're saying, you're able to kind of coalesce that together. And sort of yeah, like definitely to put that together because I think it's useful. Because also I think especially when other people are drunk, they tend to say how they really feel, and then you kind of get a real perspective. Sometimes you're able to talk them out of that perspective because it's fucking stupid. Or they don't back down and you're like, okay, maybe you shouldn't fuck with this person. Um, But that's not to say that I talk about politics every time I, you know, go out. I also love to just have fun and talk about stupid shit and be dumb and laugh and maybe sing in the toilet to people. <laughs> I do that a lot. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, guys. I want to sing. <laughs> and I do you have um, go-to singing tunes? Do you, is this your music? Or do, you, do you have like sometimes some, that you know come into your head? Sometimes. I mean, a, a few weeks ago, a friend of mine and we were just kind of like we were both pretty sloshed, and we just like, okay, like let's go, like sing <laughs> and we just like went and sang we just like harmonized with each other and just kept going and sometimes we did covers sometimes we did this and we were in, in the toilet for 45 minutes singing and and I knew people at the bar and they were like what the hell are you guys doing and I was like we were just singing and they are like nothing else I'm like no what, what no are you fucking t-? no I'm like I'm not gonna I'm not, yeah I'm just like no I'm not having sex in the toilet what no no, no, this is my friend. We are singing. And they're like, okay, that's that sounds like something you would do. <laughs> uh, you know, it, does, it, does, it sounds like the kind of thing kids say at school to sort of like... You Get know, out of something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We're just singing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't keep a fucking lie when I was young, though. I'm just like, we're just... Uh, okay. <laughs> so tell everything. Cannot be trusted as a child. Were you quite a naughty child? Um, no. I was actually like, I was a perfectionist. And by my own volition, like, my mom and dad were very chill. I just wanted to do well. And I was like a crazy person about it. I was like, I'm definitely gonna be raising my hand. Definitely gonna like, get A's. Maybe a B, but definitely A's. Maybe a B in math. I always hated math. It's like, oh, that's why you're creative now. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, I always wanted to do well, and I always kind of pushed myself to do things. Like I was doing art from a young age, and I asked to do that. I pushed myself to do that. My parents just helped me and gave me the tools. Like I was entering young authors competitions as soon as I could write. I had like you know, line paper from the book, just tore it out. And stapled it together and I would make drawings as well so I was basically making like these small graphic novels or like things with like picture books and just writing these stories and I would always enter into the competitions and they gave you a the, the, the prize was like a brochure to Old Country Buffet it's like this buffet style restaurant in the States really? <laughs> disgusting what, in like a kind of uh, like a very sort of bridge uh, and tunnel kind of um, yeah, like you. Well, you like go there, and yeah, you have like a buffet of different things, and you just like get the plates. But it was 
you would do it for like, you know, if you had one member of the family who was not very hungry and one member of the family who loved to eat everything and no one would complain. You just like pay one fee and there's also ice cream and... <laughs> well, I think we have a place in England. Is it, I mean, is it, would you compare it to something like, did you encounter Harvester when you were in England? No, I did not. Which I think it's a very kind of suburban thing where it's like a big buffet. Usually yeah. in a slightly out of town pub. Exactly. This is this is kind of the thing, but sometimes these places would be built right into like strip malls as well. But they had their own like aesthetic. And it was all you you never went to one that had its own vibe. Everything had a very similar totally tone. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but those that was like the award <laughs> and a certificate, and you just like rip it off on the bottom. But yeah, like I loved to do all of this stuff, and like I also got into playing music because I wanted to play music like one of my hobbies was going with my parents to the record store because they would always get their own mixes from the owner but they never got each other's mix they always just trash each other's taste they're like I don't want that shit and so I'd go with them individually and it was a store called play by play and I would just go and like look at all the cassettes and all the CDs and like this was like a, a hard 97. A hard 97. A hard like 96, 97, 98, 98. Like. So I'm already seeing the kind of the hazy flashback, the Netflix film, hazy yeah. flashback to Chicago in 97, yeah. 98. There's uh, that album. It was like the kind of far side era and... You know, in England, you know, we still have the big brick pop kind of thing going uh -huh. on. And yeah. Then, but there was also a massive attack and stuff. And it yeah. What, what, what was in your periphery? At oh, this time? we were like Casey and JoJo, Circa Jodeci, also H Town, like just a lot of R&B was what we were listening to at the time. Of course, when Miss Education came out, that's all my mom played. Yeah. It's like, and that was '98. And that's all she played. But like, you know, I grew up when, like my dad used to DJ when he was younger. My mom used to sing. So although they didn't pursue any, either of these things, it was a lot of music in the house. Right. We, yeah. we, we, had a, we had our single vinyl player at the very top of the, the seven, nine stack system where, you know, you had the EQ stacks and then you had the cassette deck and then you had like the five disc CD changer. We had like the CD rack on the side, the cassette bins, the vinyl bins. Cause my dad, he, when he DJed, he had a bunch of vinyls, but then there was like a flood. So most of them got ruined. So he, I think he only was able to keep like three crates, but we still have those. Shit. And there was a lot of different types of music playing in my house at all times. So it was like, as soon as I got older, like I, um, as soon as I got older, I was ready to like explore my own music taste, obviously, because I'd been listening to theirs a bunch. And yeah, I, I got a computer and I was listening to like like uh, this thing called Launch Music, which was like this radio player that Yahoo bought and then it turned into Yahoo Music. So I was trying to like, I had DSL at the time in my house, so I couldn't really play anything like high quality, but I kept trying to find it, like find ways to optimize the internet so I could play things at a higher bit rate. <laughs> but I, yeah, I had my own station. I had like iTunes and I was just like, just going for it. And then I, and I also picked up viola. That was my first instrument. Oh, right, when I, was in, yeah. when I was in fourth grade. Like, my sister played violin, and she loved it, but I, there was no way I was going to play the same as me. It's like, you're going to play something. 
different. And initially I wanted to play clarinet. No, first I wanted to play saxophone. It was too expensive to rent. Then I wanted to play clarinet, which was not going to happen as well, because my mom was like, no. Because um, I, ha- I was born with bronchitis. Oh, I see. So there's yeah. a very health... Health, health related yeah. thing yeah she was like you're not gonna like pass out on stage you can't have that because I was a kid who grew up like going to the doctor a lot like I had like migraines when I was young too so I was on like MRI machines a lot when I was younger and I had bronchitis so I had this home breathing treatment and I would have to sit on this thing for 45 minutes watching Dragon Ball Z watching a lot of anime at that time I was watching yeah. so that's that was my do you think that, that helps do you think that helps I know a few people like that have had uh, health issues earlier when they're alive and mm-hmm. this is a downtime okay that's the wrong word downtime but no. the, the enforced time where you know you, you can watch anime or, or go, did it help kind of create foster your creativity I think so I mean it gave me a lot of time to like think about like what to do with that time like a lot of the creativity evolves and creates itself in idle moments and yeah definitely I was also not just watching and like digesting anime for example like I started drawing anime and then all of a sudden I started learning a new totally different style and learned how to use colors in a different way and yeah also when I was with a breathing treatment I'm sitting there drawing different things or I'm writing so it all kind of in a weird way fostered that and also with bronchitis like I definitely had this complex of wanting to prove that I could do something outside of that so when I was young I was singing and then you know when puberty hit I stopped because my voice got deeper and I know how to use it yeah did it take a while to re-figure out how to use it yeah I did I kind of was you know belting belting some fucking song <laughs> that I'm too embarrassed to say uh, in my room yeah. and my throat popped and then after that it was like oh Whoa. Okay. so I was like oh okay so like this yeah. is funny now I can maybe sing but I was so shy to do it for so many years so I just like kind of kept it to myself and yeah I was just kind of doing my thing and I was doing theater at the time too did theater from 7th grade on and I did theater for a very really long time. I was doing it in school. I was doing like morning news announcements, doing video editing and sound on the morning news announcements. And then by the time I got into high school, I um, started actually doing theater productions, acting in them like in actual roles. Started doing community theater at the same time. And then I started doing musicals, which kind of like was the thing that catapulted me to start singing in front of people. I see. So you yeah. kind of it's through like a kind of uh, it was like basically a role, and then yeah, everything was kind of informing each other. Yeah, and yeah, when I was a freshman, I was convinced to do choir, and so like because basically I was doing these shows, and there was Aida for the school musical that year. Of course, Aida was where I got my confidence. <laughs> and of course, the role of Marib, song slap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I was just like, okay, let me audition for her. You know, we're in, like, in the room and the choir teacher's there. And it's just like, and I do it. And I was so nervous. But then I finally just nailed the, nailed the vocal for it. 
And she's like, wait, why aren't you in choir? And I was like, I this is my first time singing. So the following year, I got into choir. I did not get Mara, but I got Aida's father, who also had a singing part. And that was kind of my coming, coming out as a vocalist. And yeah, I just, I, then I was in choir, which I was in like the varsity choir, and I was tenor one, tenor two. And I also did jazz choir that year, and also magical choir too. So I was in like three different choirs. <laughs> it just went full style. Different, very different styles, three different choirs. Also, we went on competitions, like, like, like regional competitions, which was a world that I was totally okay with because when I was playing viola I was also going to these competitions like where they weren't competitions necessarily against each other but you would go and you would be judged for your skills and I was very into these things it's like this is fun so you, you, you're not someone that hides from competition oh no Oh no! Oh no! And I don't think that it's necessary at all times. But you know, let's say you know someone is talking shit. I think it's better to just embarrass them with my talent than embarrass them the other way. You know, like, and if I'm not up to snuff, then I won't do it. But if I can do it, then I'll do it. <laughs> I'm also like very cognizant of like you know what I can provide. But if I can, if if I could fight my battles. Like on a stage versus like, you know, on message boards and or, yeah. or like a literally fight. I would much rather do that. Totally. I mean, well, you kind of yeah. sort of mentioned the um, uh, you kind of create the world around you with your music. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm always quite wary when I kind of sort of read things in like press releases and on Bandcamp descriptions. And if there, there's something yeah. that you know, like I've done it before, I've written something once, and I've like, I, yeah, I definitely thought that two years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but that, but does that still hold up to you? So I sort of feel like with your music as well that it's like a. Um, there is a sort of whole entity to it in terms of yeah. where you place the sounds, how, you know, uh, your intentions that sort of seem to come across anyway like that. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you're trying to, do you think like making the music is a process of helping you understand things and fight battles or... Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, because, you know, definitely music as a world, I think that's always been a theme because it's always, that's what I've always done. Like you know, with writing and doing short stories. I was creating, I was trying my best as a child to create narratives and worlds. And then with theater, I love being able to be centered uh, in a role in that world and be able to kind of explore it. And that's why I did it for so long. Like I, that's what I, that was my actual concentration in college, actually. Like I went, I went to college for my writing and theater. Like it's it's this school called Simon's Rock, and it's an early college in Massachusetts in the woods. And you basically you go after you drop out of high school. Right. Like and that's how you get accepted there. And I got in because of my writing and my work in theater. And when I went there, I studied Meisner technique, and it was just another way that like, yeah, yeah, sense memory. Which there was a lot. There was a lot of uh. A lot of memories for that because I, I um, <laughs> just to jump back, jump around, but I found my uncle. Uh, he he passed away in his sleep, and I found him when I was seven. So, and he was a very close uncle to me. Like it was basically when I wasn't with my parents, I was with him. So, I had a lot to dive, and that that also kept me silent for so many years. And I think that's a big impetus around. That's a big catalyst as to what me creating my own worlds because I was so silent for so long that yeah. I just found it as a way to like get out what I need to say. 
Um, that still is very present in my music now. And yeah, everything has its place and it's for me to process things. But I don't feel like it's ready to be presented until I really feel like I process that part of it and then I'm able to show other people. But it is all very intentional. It's a way for me to fight battles or ask questions and everything informs everything. It's like when I write, like basically like a pro, I don't really write songs individually. I don't think of them as individual entities. I think of them as maybe individual songs, yeah, but they all will lead to some type of project, whether it's like four songs or whether it's 10, like, and that's, and that whatever needs, whatever needs to be there to tell the story. Yeah, and that's how I think of it. I think of this aspect and I think of like, okay, so how, how does, where does this lead? And you just figure out all the pieces, you figure out the, the main instrument per se. Like I ha there's a main instrument that I feel is a part of my projects. But yeah, when I started doing music, I was, I was 19 when I started doing my own music. So 10 years ago. Yeah, and I remember leaving my job at American Apparel as a visual merchandiser <laughs> in New York because I, I didn't stay at early college that long and I went to New York and I went to New York when I was 18 and that was the first job I, I worked but I also was like I want to do my music but how do you do that and I was just going to this restaurant all the time and they asked me if I wanted to work there <laughs> they're like yeah we don't we just opened up we don't have a host would you like to host? We feel like you really? can host. And I was like, I don't know about that. I don't think that. And they're like, this is how much we're paying you, which was about 500 more than I was making at re in my merchandising position. I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> and when I was working there, there was actually a music warehouse right next to the place because it was in this big industrial building. And the restaurant was outside, the like it using the garage inside. And it was like a communal table, Japanese restaurant. And yeah, there was a music place next to it and the owner knew them. So it was like with my first paycheck, it's like, okay, so I'm going to buy a microphone, buy a preamp and uh, try this garage band thing out. So it's just really, I was like, okay, I have all this stuff. And I'm really excited to write it, like to like do something with it. And I'm at the bar with my shitty fake ID writing songs in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was always the wrong type of preview just come up just like hey so what are you writing and I'm just like oh, get away from me <laughs> people love like I mean particularly me using pen and paper to write oh yeah of course yeah. people love that don't they they, they I do mean, they're so intriguing to people to see someone not using a laptop to yeah it's, it's mysterious and it's it's romantic and it's classic isn't it it's yeah like, I mean lighting. and it was a dive bar the lighting fit yeah it was like red exactly. lighting by the bar and I'm just yeah. like yeah, feelings and then I put my little notebook away and drink really bad PBR <laughs> PBR specials uh, I did karaoke there a lot yeah, yeah to kind of like get me like used to the stage I performed there a lot when I was starting out too I also performed at this place called Cobra Club a lot I was starting off my friend Tanya Cross really kind of inspired me to do that but yeah I was like with GarageBand like at home this tiny studio that I shared with my friend Monica. We both shared the studio in Greenpoint, and she slept, she used the living room as her room, and I used like this tiny like shoebox bedroom, like just with a bed as mine. And but like when she would leave for work, then I would go in, 
and I would also put on a little Dusty Springfield to get myself in the mood. Or no, like Linda Ronstadt. That's what I was listening to. Linda Ronstadt. Fucking good. Uh, it was her first record, too. Just play the vinyl, get me in the mood. But then I would, yeah, I would try to do recordings on GarageBand, and they all came out on one side because I was using stereo because I didn't know the difference between stereo and mono. So I'm just like doing all these songs, didn't know how to quantize, didn't know anything, and I'm just like, <laughs> just, just wild shit I have. I still have all of it and I look back and just like, oh, you were really out there like really trying because I was excited to tell my story, at least to myself, primarily to myself. Like, what are you thinking? Okay, so now this is a great way to express it. And it wasn't me playing a character. And it wasn't me playing an instrument. I was literally just using myself. Yeah. And, you know, I kept doing that. And I finally learned the difference between mono and stereo. <laughs> and then that was it. And I'm trying to, like, quantize and use, like, a drum machine and beats. And then I moved to Logic Pro. You know, 9, which looked archaic still at that time. <laughs> and I kept doing it. My friend, he um, from college, who actually studied music theory, he was using Ableton. And so we started working on stuff together, but at the same time I was learning how to use Ableton in the process. And I started using it myself. And then that was kind of it. That was kind of like the start of me doing stuff. And I was at this time I was working at this bar, another bar in, in South Williamsburg called OTB. And uh, my friend Rachel was, uh, sorry, I'm seeing this guy abuse his dog. It's making me uncomfortable. Wow, wow, wow. Just like, yeah, the guy. We should, we should yeah, shame yeah, like, him on the podcast. Yeah, he kind of like yanked his dog back. Oh, the and guy like, the pink yeah, guy. See, He's yeah. being a bit aggressive. Yeah, exactly. He is. Um, he looks, I don't know, I don't like to judge people, but he looks like an archetypal, legal, aggressive Oh, he Your looks like a cunt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a like a full cunt, like an asshole. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So back to. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So where was I actually? Yeah. So basically, uh, you uh, you've just gone over to Ableton. Yeah, I just went over to Ableton. That kind of just really started things off. And yeah, I was working at OTB, and I at the time I was working there. This night I was serving. And my friend Rachel was friends with Tanya, and they came in for dinner with her friend Juan. And Rachel had heard me sing before, heard some stuff, and I didn't. And she was like, "I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna make Tanya listen to your stuff." And I was like, "I don't want this. I didn't ask for this." And Tanya stayed till the end while we were closing. We all just sat by the bar while we were playing up. And Rachel, once again, while we were properly intoxicated, put me on the spot. And I got on the bar and I sang a cover of this woman's work. And then Tanya started booking me for shows. <laughs> wow. So like yeah. I did a lot of shows with her collective. She also like let me share her practice space that she had with her band. I was paying twenty-five a month to have a twenty-four hour practice space in Williamsburg. And I learned how to do a lot of things there and just to get out of my place and actually record vocals and yeah. I was still working in service and I was just kind of doing it all at that time. And it was exhausting that I was doing it all. But I was just excited because I felt myself getting better and better and more apt to tell my stories. And then I moved to LA for four months, thought it was going to be forever. Moved there for four months. And that's where I really kind of got it, I think. What do you mean by got it? I moved there and I immediately realized that I had a lot of these pop sensibilities that I need to lean more into and I don't have to worry about anything else except myself because it was an it was an isolating like 
like move there. Yeah. Because I had maybe two or three friends there, but then That's you know not you. Much, is it? Yeah, like, and like, you, you realize they don't really want to hang out no, with no, you. No, that way. They, yeah. they they like visiting with you, yeah. but they don't actually like being there with you. So I'm just you know in, I'm like no job. I'm in this like building in downtown LA, which to be honest had a pool and a jacuzzi on the roof so I wasn't like I wasn't destitute I was still just like oh I hate this in the jacuzzi so like fuck off me uh, but I I was not doing anything except doing music and I leaned so heavily into this pop that I experienced um, and that felt really good and then when I and then I ended up moving back to New York got my job back <laughs> got a new place pretty instantly and I was like okay so this isn't that bad of course it ended up being terrible but I learned a lot from my about my sensibilities in LA and when I went back to New York I felt even stronger about everything and about I think it took I think I was back in New York from October till September 2016 so I got back in October 2015 went to and then moved here in, Wait, in 2016, 2016 right, in September, okay. September 6th. So it's oh, recently right. five, recently five years. Yeah. So this was about the time. This was like scary Trump time, wasn't it? That was all that went. That that was. I, it was before. Right. It was right before, but it was still a weird time to see yeah. him like try. And when I moved here in September, I remember I remember like hearing that he won. I remember waking, I went to sleep, and I was just like, oh, this is going to be fine. I mean, I don't really care for Hillary as a candidate. I have many, many problems with Hillary, but he's not going to win. And Hillary will just be like most of the Democratic presidents who are actually conservative, you know. Yeah, She's yeah. going to be the same, whatever. But, like, that'll be something that we just deal with. Um, and I woke so up. So, business as usual. Yeah. And I woke up, I saw this, and I called all my friends. I'm like, wait, something's off. Because <laughs> it was still going on. They're still counting, yeah, but they're yeah. like, we pretty much predict he's going to win. And my friend was like, yo, I'm in a bar right now, and people are literally crying. Like, this is insane. Like, okay, so this is real. <laughs> yeah, but I was already here. I have not experienced living there with you know Trump's bullshit which I think is good I mean it must be but also weird weird yeah I mean my I uh, you know with Brexit in England as well like you know mm -hmm. sort of being being an ex, uh, being a migrant I don't like using the word expat it makes me sound like I'm a colonial guy in a white suit you know I don't like the word either so no, I'm, yeah, I'm we're happy on, to on the same page but if it's the, the best word to use <laughs> yeah, yeah. it feels like Migrant is work for me right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to say anything, but um, like it's, it's kind of a weird experience knowing that like back home the country's in turmoil, and you're in this country where people are kind of like sympathetic, but also a little bit like you guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's very, very weird. I, I, the first few years, I just got so many questions about him, and I'm like, I don't know, y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So how about Trump? I. I don't know. A bit like when someone says, oh, you, you lived in, uh, you were born in Chicago. Oh, you must know my, my friend David. My friend David. Like, I don't know your friend. I don't. I'm sorry. Like, it's like millions of people there. Yeah, and it's kind of that same feeling. Like, you know, especially being, I think there's a lot of instances of being black in Europe, especially without people having much context to black Americans that... You kind of ask questions as if you're answering if you're answering this question for like a group of people, and I'm like, 
there's a few things that are true. And you will, you will know those things that are true maybe by interacting with more than one black person. <laughs> but the direct questions that I'm supposed to be, like, no, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Like, this dance, I don't know this dance. Like, you know, did you do this when you, no, I didn't. And I can't swim, but I also hate to hate when people assume that black people can't swim because most, I mean, all of my black friends can swim. My boyfriend, who's Polish, cannot swim. <laughs> we both, we both can't swim. <laughs> I'm like, but like, don't make this whole, like, am I supposed to answer to this? Like, that's not fair. Like, I'm not supposed to, I don't know Trump. I wasn't there. And like, I could see this being a question in, in the entirety of 2016, but I think Honestly, the last time I was asked about Trump was in, like, the end of 2018. I'm like, how about Trump? I'm like, I have been here for years. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I, can, I can infer from my parents and my friends who are still in the United States that it's absolutely terrible. But I went to New York in 2019, and I was just like, no, this just feels like any president, unfortunately. But New York is way more expensive <laughs> than it was when yeah, I left. Yeah. You know, but also New York is like a democratic <laughs> bubble in a sense. You know, it's not like I went back to my hometown and could probably see a lot more of the effects rather than read or research a lot more of the effects. Like, I feel, I feel in a way, in regards to the U.S., I've kind of turned into someone I dislike where all I could do is watch a lot of last week tonight <laughs> and I just also don't want to be the person who speaks on it I just like I'm like I'm like I'm not there I can't really say something but I'm still gonna watch last week tonight now if I was watching last week tonight and then commenting on everything in the United States then I would maybe actually be the person the type of person that I dislike yeah but I'm trying not to do that because yeah. I, I don't consider it my home. Um, but I do obviously consider it a home. This is a really interesting perspective, yeah. the idea of what a home is. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely always been a person of just like where I'm at yeah. is home. I've moved for um, 14 times in Berlin in yeah. the last four years. And I mean, as soon as I know like, I've had a good seven hours sleep, um, and I found the Wi-Fi, the Wulan. Yeah, I've yeah, that, yeah. And I worked out where the, the nearest, like, really good flat white is. Yes. Uh, it yeah. kind of becomes my. I, I feel very content, you know. Like, yeah. As long as I, I, I feel like I feel like I've lost my home in times touch wood mm -hmm. uh, that don't happen again. Yes, where like yes. maybe I lose something, uh -huh. like I lose keys or lose a phone. Yeah. Then I have this really disorientating feeling of like, okay, um, um, the reality kicks in. Like maybe I've been living in a place for two months. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I've got no foundations there really. But other than that, yeah, as soon as I'm yeah. I mean, I definitely have habits. Like I feel, I feel when I the moment when I forget something and have to go back and get it. It's probably where I'm comfortable at. <laughs> like, if I leave the house, it's like, oh, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I forgot my phone. Or like, oh, you literally forgot your keys? Like, <laughs> yeah, but I don't really have the luxury of doing that since I live alone. <laughs> but, like, now. But, yeah, that's kind of one of those things, too. I feel the same way, but I've always lived with people. And, since, like, for over a year now, I've lived by myself, and that's been a very great experience. But it's also been different because when I first got in there, I went into an empty place and I'm like, wait, 
what do I put in my own place? Because the only things I've ever bought were a desk and a bed. <laughs> so I'm like, what What do you want in your own place? Have you been filling it all? I think I filled it up pretty fast, and now I want, I want a change, and I'm also trying to figure out what that means. I'm just like, so do normal people just get new furniture? <laughs> Uh, or like move question. something I've around. Never, I've never had this situation. Exactly. Myself. So, what do, they what do you what do you do? So you're like, oh, I want to change it up. Like, do you just buy new stuff like you're buying again? Because I've never had that type of money. So I'm just like, I don't know what to do. Because like, what's responsible is just to kind of keep it and add more things yeah. to it. Like, there's always more time for that. But yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting experience. I I could never keep one plant alive, and now I have like fifteen. Are they all you keeping them all alive? Uh, you know what? Yes. So I, that's so cool. It. It's really interesting. I don't think I can give advice on that. But like, <laughs> for me, I've definitely, it's been a really interesting experience to learn how to take care of plants. <laughs> I have the feeling that because I've been moving around a lot, the plants will live in a symbolic way once I find a permanent place. Like they will, yes. they will allow themselves to live. I don't know. You know That's so. what I'm thinking is the, is the real magic. Yeah, yeah. so maybe the fact yeah. that you've been in a place for a year and the plants are living, that's a sign that you know, you've, there's a sense of yeah. grounding maybe. Yeah, I think that is kind of the sign. Like, you know, also having a humidifier and I like burning incense yeah. and like Palo Santo and all that. Shit, but just like you know, normal things of like I haven't played video games in ten years, and I used to be a nerd about video games. <laughs> I was in the photography too at that time too, so I got I I did a lot of photo actually as well. This is I had my hands on a lot of different things. Do you think um, you know, say something like photography to like making music and, and all of the different stages of making music as uh -huh. well? Like um, by the way, I fucking love that bit of trumpet that comes in mm -hmm. on. Um, uh, oh, which track is it? It's, it's like the lead track. No, the second track on the. Uh, the second single, yeah, Radio yeah. Silence. Radio Silence yeah, is a bit yeah, of trumpet that comes Thank you. Uh, I'm a big trumpet fan. Um, yeah. I'm a big horn section fan in general. That comes from my deep, deep obsession with Canadian rock. Canadian indie rock. <laughs> uh, so Arcade Fire. Arcade yeah. Fire, Feist, Broken Social Scene. Yeah. Hoxie Workman, I oh, love yeah, him they too. They love putting in those yeah. little solo Just trumpets. The, very mournful, very... Very, very. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, I had no business listening to Neon Bible as a 12-year-old like that much. That's not, that album was so dark. But yeah, when I was... When I first got iTunes, they, I remember they first started doing a podcast. CBC Radio 3 was one of the first podcasts up. And the very first song was One Evening by Vice. I was obsessed with that song. I could not stop listening to it. Mushroom. That whole record, Let It Die, was very, very in charge of shaping a lot of like my my indie rock tendencies that still kind of live in pockets of my music to this day. Well, you find like, those formative uh, musical experiences, like even if you put them to bed, you know, for years, they're, they're still dormant. They're still there, yeah. And a lot of what um, what I'm kind of going for right now with the LP that I'm working on is I always tend to visit Destroyer. Really? Um, revisit Destroyer or maybe like Andrew Bird, yeah. like Noble Beast era Andrew Bird, like 
Suvian, Suvian, Suvian. Yes, like, I always have problems with, with, with that, Mr. Stevens. With, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like so that that song is also like really impactful. Yeah. Like I remember the first time I listened to Metals and I didn't hate it, and it was so emotional. Like I remember buying the Reminder from the store, and there was a there was actually a version of Intuition on the physical copy that was not that she took off of all the streaming sites she put up another version and I, I think the original version of Intuition was the best or maybe it wasn't on the physical copy I think it leaked it was a really good version of Intuition which is a track on the reminder all these things were super formative so yes I really love a trumpet <laughs> I fucking love trumpets. Trump, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I feel like it's I feel like it's not necessary through the entire track. I feel like, you know, it needs to be good. Like for example, like when I think about it's all gonna break from broken social saying. Excellent use of a horn section. Oh, so good. Yeah, but like a lot of, oh my god, I'm thinking about all these songs now. Like Toothpaste yeah. Kisses. But that they're they're UK, but like also like yeah, I loved UK folk at the time too, like modern folk. Like I think Fiona Reagan is from the UK too. Loved that. Yeah. Laura Marling I yeah. listened to forever. <laughs> yeah. I saw her in Brooklyn once, so I was like crying, but then also laughing at her because she had six different guitar changes. <laughs> um, but also a huge influence on my music. I can, I can feel it. All yeah. of these artists, they have like a real sense of space. And that's something mm -hmm. like it with your music as well. Yes. It's a real, it's really like, I don't know what the thinking is in that. I mean, obviously it's very an intuitive process, but um, it's very much sense of space. It's very spectral music. Feel like it, yeah. it's not overcrowded. Mm -hmm. it feels like the weather trumpet is feels incredibly important. But in fact, it can't be said at that point yeah. in the song. But I wouldn't be able to tell you why. Yeah. But... The, well, the thing is, I actually remember adding that trumpet because, in particular, Radio Silence is like maybe my most evolving song. So I actually wrote this song um, at the same time. I think I wrote it right before If I Was Your Lover, which is the first single. It was a totally different song the first time I, I came up with it and you know had a totally different flow, but I, n I never liked it. And then I remember doing If I Was Your Lover, and that kind of came out pretty instantaneously, like I didn't really do much editing or changing to that, that song. Um, and then with, ra but with Radio Silence, I was just like listening to it, and I'm like, uh... And one of my favorite love songs is uh, Starship, You Are My Starship by Michael Henderson and I keep quoting this song a lot because it's really it really completely shaped me going back into Radio Silence um, mostly from the baseline intro is how you know that got there and then I just kind of went from that and then I you know I, I think a lot of the harmonies are inspired by um this night this retro 1950s 1960s kind of my experience that i had with pet sounds which i had like my own yeah. thing so that's why you had this whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. I, can, I can yeah i can yeah. feel that yeah yeah and that kind of just like happened immediately like while i was doing the song my my mixer for the ep uh a good friend amazingly talented benedict um benedict mcisaac uh we like he'd been kind of always kind of hovering around but I never had like a budget to ever work with him on more than one song which was a song called Bet that was on the project that's not released hopefully we'll see the light of day one day 
but yeah we were mixing radio silence and we i thought that that one was going to be the easiest to miss i'm like oh yeah we yeah and you know <laughs> he's very he's very sweet he's like okay so some tracks when they get mixed that i've always worked on you realize that it's not finished when it's mixed properly yeah and he's not someone who relies heavily on reverb and he's very into like making like a 3d sound type of space so yeah, it was funny because I thought If I Was Your Lover was going to be the one that was going to be hard. That one was actually, you know, very straightforward. And we're both like, because I'm, I'm anal about this. I'm like, I need to be there for every piece of the mixing process so you can see what I was doing with my producer mix or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm like, this way. I'm like, oh. And he's like, no, we're not changing anything. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> you know, of course he mixed it properly, but it was just like not a thing that I ever had to revisit the song. Yeah, and it was and just like, a yeah. Of, um, and these are vocals that are in my bedroom, like all the vocals yeah. I did in my bedroom. You know, like so I'm just like expecting a lot of things to be off, but that song just like flowed. But then when we got to Radio Silence, <laughs> he turned to me, and I'm just there, just you know, biting my nails, which is like the worst habit. I'm just like, oh. Uh. And I'm in the chair, I'm hunkered up like this, and just like, oh no. He tells me, he's like, it's not done. Really? And I'm yeah, listening to yeah. it, and I'm just like, no, it's not. As I'm like, are you sure this is, wait, this is all that you got, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm checking my stems, and I'm like, is this all that I sent him? Like, was there something wrong? Was everything was there, and it was, but everything wasn't, yeah, you know? Yeah. So it was kind of one of those things, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I don't want to touch this song. Do you find yourself reworking a lot of the elements in that case? Or was it more like, because I've had it when I I used to be a musician too, and working with sort of producers and mixers at the end of the stage, you know, being a producer themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, where it's almost like they, in some examples, like, you know, the thing that you've been listening to, you've been listening to in your speakers and stuff. Over and yeah. over and, and over. And you've created this whole world around yeah, it. Yeah. And then, like, on their speakers, it's sort of flat and it's thinner. Was it more a question of them, you and them working together to realise and actualise it sounding actually exactly how you imagined it already did? Or did you yeah. evolve from that? Well, it, it, it evolved in the way that I think about feeling more than the technicalities that come with really knowing your way around the DAW to the point where you know the exact numbers that you should be using for a certain type of effect. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, that's why I'm glad that you say I'm, I'm, I'm produced my own work, but I produce it from my heart. Yeah. And not to say he doesn't mix from his heart. I think he very much is extremely that. But also, he understands the technical side in a way that I won't. And you, also, you it's not my yeah. You need that combination. You need yeah. different ears on it too. And so it's not like, my job. I, I'm not going to try to mix my own stuff. And that's something that took me many, many years to learn. I was, I was like, I can do it all, because you feel like that's what you should be able to do, and yeah. that's also what you're told that other people do. And it's kind of a lie. Like, it is a lie. lie. It's actually a lie that's really harmful. I think because I think it kind yeah. of. It creates this kind of hierarchical kind of idea of what the artist is. It's like Absolutely. It's kind of mentor, rather yeah. than sort of like, okay, maybe it's more like, you know, we have an amazing team around us. And we, you know, you're, you're more the, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, it comes from your heart. But, yeah, you know, yeah. The people that you work with. Exactly. And it's like, you know, of course it's my stuff and it's my work and I want to sign off on it. But it, it would be silly to also not understand how important it is to have people who are on the same page as you around exactly, you yeah. who can lift you up and make you think of new ideas and that become like it's it's about that community effort 
And before, it was also a lot of me wanting to do it all myself because I didn't really know how to approach or talk to people about what I'm doing and expect them to understand. Whereas, this, you know, with Benedict, I felt like we've had that rapport for long enough where I completely trusted him with my work. And oftentimes he made the decision that I would completely make if I... <laughs> had his talent on the mixing board. Which is like, always such a nice feeling, isn't it? Yeah, so, like, so oh, I don't feel like anything is co-opted and yeah. I don't feel like we're fighting. Mm. You definitely don't want to fight. Like, I feel like there was just, like, a growth there. And honestly, if he was another mixer, because I, I had considered going somewhere else for mixing and I gave them Radio Silence, so I had a mix of Radio Silence done by someone else. And... You know, it sounded, yeah, analog-y. You know, you put a bunch of stems through different two compressors. Like, not to be, like, shitty. I respect I respect that, too. But it's like, we can have a laugh about it. Because, you know, some people are just so indulgent about it. Like, you know, this mixer puts it through this two compressor, do this. And it's like, but when does it sound like? It is a little bit like the, is it Spinal Tap? Where the app goes up to an open. Why does it need to, why don't you make 10 louder? It goes up to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was, um, it, I could see how it sounded with other people, but yeah. it was just like, no, like this person really brought, like he just brought it to life and I heard it in a new way, in a new context. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly what I wanted to say and I'm actually glad that it was a collaborative effort and I can't wait to bring more people on. Like, I'm, you know, I dabble with guitar and piano too, but I'm also like, I can't really play that good. Yeah. So I could write the music, but I can't really like push it beyond that. And I want to work with like guitarists and drummers, and I want to like actually build a full set. I love playing with bands. It's like that's my favorite thing to do. I mean, I yeah. love the way uh, like someone that I think really, really, really nails that so well is Björk. Mm-hmm. Like, just the way like you know she kind of you know Björk is such a sort of identity. You know, mm-hmm. such a sort of singular presence yet she really really owns sort of like sharing and collaborating in, in the yeah. process of her work it's know. absolutely necessary yeah. like if I want to do something else I can't just rely on myself to completely come with the ideas and it's real, like like you said like it's like a really harmful lie that people just sit there and do everything themselves and go on about their day Yeah. and if they do there's a bit of staleness that comes there there is a bit of like maybe familiarity for when people release new stuff, but I think there's a little bit of staleness. And I want to always be evolving. I want to do work that I really love. And I want to do stuff that's impactful to me and also impactful to other people. I want to do collaborative work. I feel like that is so nice. The, the thing that I used to be so afraid of is whether people wanted to actually work with me. And I think I'm getting out of that. That's good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. do you think that that's held you back? Oh, absolutely. Um, just confidence of what I'm doing because it is so intimate and it's so personal. It's, it's funny that the, the thing that kind of gave me strength also gave me my biggest weakness where I'm like, I'll do it by myself. But I'm also thinking in the back of my head, you know, as a young person who really didn't like ask, I was thinking in my head, you know, I can do this by myself, but also I don't know other people want to do it with me. Yeah. It's kind of a sad reality of how that happens. It's a sad, it's yeah. a sad reality. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the only, like, you know, when I was coming up, the the closest I was was with, like, the sound guy at the, at the bar, or at the bar, at the club, or at the performance space, like, on stage. I loved a good sound person. I was like, yo, you're my guy. It's like, that was when I collaborated. I'm yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, I was, you know, I'm late for a lot of things in my life, but I'm not late for a sound check. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a lot of things in my life where I'm just like, okay, so you could do better to be on time. And now yeah. your friends are knowing that when you say I'll be there, that means you'll be there in an hour and a half. But sound check was always something that was really about, and, you know, working in tech coming up. And uh, I have a lot of respect for the people who are, make, who are like, the actually doing it. Yeah, the, the doctors. They're sound doctors. doctors. They're sound doctors. Yeah. And, like, Unfortunately, um, yeah. they get treated uh, I, I very say, shitty. shitty yeah, they, I've, uh, I've had some words with some people mm-hmm. about the way they treat the sound person. Yeah. And, or I've just lost complete respect for them as yeah. performers. Because it's like, yo, what, like, we're all we're all like a bunch of moving parts that are all supposed to come together for this 45 minutes and just do the best we can and make each other sound well. Yeah. And there should be a lot of thank yous and a lot of consideration and a lot of please or just being polite. Like if you're on stage and just like yelling like, this is too no, this is not now. What? Why? Yeah, I've seen people quite often get um, in some jokes, get very annoyed when, you know, like some, some sound engineer, like usually the sound engineer's assistant, uh, we'll, we'll have to kind of run on stage and adjust something. There's everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, they're, 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 they're in the firing line. They're like the soldiers that goes first over the trench. You know, uh-huh. They have to do this. And, and you see, like, uh, I've seen artists, and I'm, to be honest with you, I'm going to confess when I was. Oh, that's alright, they're just too nice. Mm-hmm. I think when I was younger and I was a little bit more shitty, mm-hmm. I might have done that myself, been yeah. a little bit like, snappy, like, what are you, you're by my feet and I'm trying to do my song. You know? <laughs> <laughs> then you're going to realize like, this poor person is literally trying to make everything work. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've um, never really had that experience, to be honest. I don't think I ever had that experience because I've also been talked to that way. And I'm like, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> well, it's like I do think yeah, that everyone yeah. should, for their soul at least, spend at least a year working in the uh, hospitality industry. You know, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that would help a lot of people out. <laughs> Just get us such a sort of. You know, yeah. Okay, yeah, it's good. <laughs> you gain an awareness that I yeah. feel. Not just in, I, th- I think in general, in general, in a lot of places that people lack, just like an understanding of people, maybe a bigger sense of empathy. Yeah, I think as well is, and I think a lot of people do need that. So, definitely, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think that should be, you know, law. <laughs> and I think the last thing I wanted to ask you is. I'm going to have to paraphrase something that you said now rather than look at my notes. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. It's that you said something in, a, in an Instagram about that you have at least two, that each relationship you've had. Ah, um, uh-huh, yeah, my art interview. At least two songs or two songs have come out. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think that's such an interesting thing to say because I think this sort of sense of autobiography. I was also wondering what the, because um, you also, you write very, also, it's very intimate, you write very discreetly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, where do you find the sense of between um, the experience, putting the experiences that you've had into your music, mm-hmm. and is there a is there a line that you don't feel that you feel comfortable crossing when it comes to your experiences that you've had with other people? Yeah, well, um, so I, I think one of the I think yeah. the second 
album I ever bought, or third album I ever bought, was uh, Fiona Apple, uh, her second oh. album. Um, she actually inspired me to start writing music. That was where it started, guys. <laughs> um, and one thing that I love about her writing is that it's, that's exactly how it is. It's very, like, discreet, but very intimate. And, like, you have a sense of, like, you know she's talking about somebody, obviously. And it, and it feels very deep there, but you don't know who it is. When I, when I come to sit down and write... Not every song is about one person. I think I think oftentimes it's very rarely one thing that's specifically about one person, but it's kind of an amalgamation of like experiences and feelings and situations in the relationship. Because I'm not talking about this happened, then that happened. It's more of like, this is how I made you feel, and this is how you make me feel. And this is what I'm thinking, and maybe I'm wrong. Or this is what I'm thinking, and maybe I'm right. Or this is what you're thinking, and I want to clarify. Or this is what you're thinking, and you're probably right to think that it's like this like brutal like honesty and it's a bunch of it's a bunch of collected moments and stories but then there's some songs that are about one person like if i was your lover is about multiple people mm. bella noche is about one person radio silence is about one person blue is about one person actually but they're all different people <laughs> um yeah, and Saving Face, which is also on the record, that is about multiple people as well, you know? Um, I I think it just really varies on what I need to say. When it's about one person, it's usually more fresh in my mind. When it's about multiple people, it is a collection of thoughts. It's kind of the come down after the processing. Right, because that's how the human mind works like that as well, doesn't it? We have... Our, our, our memories and, and our thoughts are kind of very yeah. backwards and yeah. forwards. And yeah. But one thing I will say, they're never really about situations and they're never literal. They're all about the feelings that I've had in these situations. And that also gives me a lot of room to not feel like I have to name any names. That gives me a lot of room. I think that also gives me a lot of room to process in the way that I want to and also gives me a lot of room for people to connect. Like, yeah. like, I mean, the latter is not the thing I'm thinking about when I do it, but I think I found that people can connect to what I'm doing because they don't have to imagine someone named Jonathan doing it. They can imagine their ex or their current lover doing what I'm saying, or they can imagine themselves doing that to whomever. They can put themselves there and place themselves there. And although I really... Am, I really am like adamant and present with the fact that like what I'm talking about through my black queer lens is specific and might not be in the way that other people expect or think. But one thing that I will say is that it's really cool to see different people connect because, you know, I, I think my political statement has always been that I experience love just like everyone else and to see everyone else connecting to that is really cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Marshall, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, such a cool. really nice interview. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was Marshall Vincent talking with me, Paul Hampford, on Lost and Sound. We had that conversation outside La Maison Cafe in Berlin, and we had that conversation on the last day 
of September 2021. I'm not sure if that's a 30th or a 31st. I didn't really, I'm not really, really sure on that one, but that's when we head anyway. Today is the 5th of October. I hope you're having a really beautiful day. It's actually Marshall's birthday today, funnily enough. I, I told him right at the end of the conversation I was going to put it out today. So Marshall, I hope you're having a really, really lovely birthday um, or had a really really lovely birthday depending on when you listen i hope you all really enjoyed that the ep no particular order is released october the 15th on sa recordings thanks to eso for doing the amazing music you hear at the beginning and end of these shows thanks to kieran yates in the uk for mastering the levels and thanks to the people at bear radio for hosting this podcast. And if you want to check out other English language podcasts from Berlin, head on over to bearradio.org. They've got an amazing, amazing selection of stuff. And thank you as well. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Send me a message. Send me, let me know what you thought of this show. Let me know what you think of Lost and Sound. Always love having chats about this show. Always love your thoughts and your feedback and your opinions. I hope you're having a really special day. And I hope you get like, an amazing email today that just changes, you know, just changes your week into a realm of amazingness. Take care and speak to you soon.